Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me at Scavendish on Twitter. And what do people need to do, Steve? They need to rate, they need to review, and most importantly, they need to smash the subscribe button. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's getting old yet. No, it's it's definitely old. Okay, it's definitely <laughs> old. But still do it, though, because it helps people find our show, and that's how we grow this thing. Today on the show, Steve Lehman, sports anchor at News Channel 5, is going to join us. He is, Steve, one of the most talented people I have ever worked with in sports talk radio or any other medium. Uh, he has got all kinds of stuff all over news broadcasts as well as Sunday nights. And I think we're going to learn a lot about the television medium today on the show. Layman came in, replaced a legend in Hope Hines, uh, and has has done a very good job in a very challenging position. The nightly sports portion of your 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock news broadcast have shrunk over the years. I mean, I think Layman said it's down to like three, three and a half minutes. And so how do you tell that kind of – how do you kind of tell us a city's sports story in three minutes every day? It's really, really tough. He's really good at it. He has some other outlets for it. They do a, they do a, a weekend uh, half-hour show that he gets a chance to stretch his legs a little bit more on. But, but Lehman does, does a really good job in a really, really tight window. I will give him a, a lot of credit because there are very few people that I have ever worked with, and you are probably one of them, Steve, that I could do a four-hour radio show about all things Nashville-related and that man, Steve Lehman, could give me an articulate, educated, informed, and thoughtful opinion on everything from Tennessee State basketball to the Tennessee Titans and everything in between. Nashville SC, Predators, SEC football, Vanderbilt baseball, and he can do it. I've seen him do it for four hours off the top of his head. And part, and part of that is you know, he's, he's out there watching all of this. I, I was walking into the, the Nashville SC game the other the other night and he was there picking up his credential to go watch the game in person and even though that you know he was gonna have like thirty seconds of that on the on the broadcast that night, he wanted to be able to see the game. He wanted to be able to talk to the people. He wanted to be able to kind of absorb that in person. Uh, when you when you have your anchors that invested in the actual sports of a city, that's a good thing. Absolutely, and it's not the least of which reasons why News Channel 5 is number one in this market, and the number one news network in this market has been for a long time, probably will be for a long time. And it's not just that he can take you know, the ability to articulate four hours of content and drill it down into three and a half minutes and still make it engaging and fun and interesting and thoughtful and high quality, not just sort of dumbing it down to its simplest form. I think he's very good at that. He'll explain that process through the course of this interview. But also, bigger picture stuff. Why is the visual medium so visceral and so powerful to people versus audio or print, which are consumed in a very different way? He's got some really interesting answers about that. And also, where is the entire television model going in the future? The evolution of TV as it pertains to a live broadcast Where's it all going? And and cord cutting and all that stuff. He's got a lot of thoughts on that as well. Consumers or consumer habits are changing dramatically. I mean, I cut the cord here a year and a half ago, and, and I think a, a lot of people haven't thought about the local impact that this is going to have because 
if for instance, like in some markets right now, Hulu has dropped local affiliates and gone to just national national network feeds. That means you're losing your local news and sports in those markets. If you if you've watched Channel Two's broadcast here lately, their uh, Nextstar is fighting with uh, with Hulu uh, about the about the live feeds, and they've been fighting with WKRN about whether or not they're even going to be carried on Hulu uh, Hulu Live Plus. So you know these sorts of things matter. Consumer uh, consumer behavior is changing, and and really how they adapt to it is gonna is gonna determine whether or not local news broadcasts are viable here you know in the next five to ten years and there may be another episode steve that that really dives into the business side of all of this stuff with television whether it's affiliates whether it's subscription-based models and companies arguing with each other there's probably another episode that, that we can get to on that kind of stuff or 10 or 10 uh, but we wanted to focus on the visual medium why is it so powerful what does steve do to manipulate that but also still wanting to tell quality stories to people that, that, that delivers their content to them in a, in a, a timely manner, in a, in a thoughtful manner, and he's uh, incredibly talented at doing that. We will also have, of course, ratings and recommendations like we do each and every show after the interview, so stick around for that. We'll recap what we heard, and then we'll give you some ratings and recs for the evening, if you're, you're okay with that, Steve. I'm absolutely fine. And so without further ado, here's Steve Lehman. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, for folks who may not know your career arc or kind of how you got here, why don't you why don't you talk to us about how you got to News Channel Five, where you work, uh, where you grew up, and kind of where you went to school, that kind of stuff. I grew up in Central Illinois, in Champaign, college town, and was a typical, I, I think, boy in the late '80s, early '90s, just loving sports and playing everything under the sun. And from a very early age, I was one of the few people, I think, who kind of always knew I want to get into broadcasting. I think my first dream was I wanted to be a major league baseball player. But pretty quickly, I figured out no matter how good I was at 12 years old, that was an (laughs) unlikely path. So let's play as long as I can. Maybe you get to college. Who knows? But at some point, if I want to be involved in sports, I'm going to have to go a different path. And so I always thought I want to be around the game. I want to be in sports broadcasting. Initially, I thought it would be more of a play-by-play track. And then it just so happened I tore my rotator cuff pitching my junior year of high school. And my mom, bless her heart, give her a lot of credit here, told me, you know what? If you want to do play-by-play, WDWS, which is the local major talk radio station in Champaign-Urbana, is also the flagship station for the Fighting Illini Sports Network. And she said, you should go over there and tell them at 16 years of age that you will do anything possible to just get in the building and be an intern, take out the trash, answer the phone calls, do whatever, and just see if you can pick up on what's going on there. Who knows, maybe we'll get an opportunity at some point. And that's exactly what I did. They were silly enough to give a 16 year old the opportunity to do that. And then they were even more silly to put a 17 year old on the air to do some high school basketball and little league baseball, actually. That was one of the cool things of campaign Urbana. (laughs) Big enough to have Big Ten athletics, small enough to do a Little League baseball game of the week, but that is how I got my starts. And then when I got into college, I actually chose to go to the U of I, stay home because of this Ian I already had. And a little bit into my freshman year, they decided to totally revamp the drive time sports talk show on the station and brought in a veteran who'd been in the market for a long time. He was going to be the main host. And he said, I'll do this but I want to pick my co-host. And they said, 
Sure. His name's Steve Kelly. And they said, Steve, sure, you got it. Anybody you want. And they said, I want Steve Lane, the kid. And so I became the co-host of this drive time sports talk show in Champaign throughout my entire college career. The U of I heard me there, knew a little bit of my background and other things, put me on Illinois baseball as the secondary play-by-play guy in the spring of my freshman year. I actually called the national championship in tennis through the internet that spring, which I think impressed a couple people too. And then I got hired on to do volleyball and women's basketball in the same role for the rest of my college career. So I was really, really blessed. I give my mom a lot of credit for having the foresight. I give the people WDWS and the U of I a lot of credit for having the guts, frankly, to put a kid in that opportunity. And the rest, I guess, is history. I, I did the whole journalism track and TV track in college. I had a great internship at Fox 5 in D.C., in college, which really kind of got me on the TV thing. And then spring break in my senior year, I said, I'm going to go all in on TV, sent a resume tape to what sent, seemed like every television station in America. I think it was 96 in total by the time it was done. And ultimately, five months later, I was brought in for an interview in Tulsa, which was ironically the very first tape I sent out over spring break week. They finally got around to interviewing and hiring. And I got the job and I became the weekend sports anchor at Fox 23 in Tulsa at 22. Was there for about a year. The sports director left. They promoted me. So as a sports director, 23, hung around for three and a half more years. And then Hope Hines was getting ready to retire here at News Channel 5. And Sandy Boonstra, Lynn Planting, at the time it was Debbie Turner, the GM, called me up and said, would you like to come to Nashville? And I jumped at the opportunity and have been here ever since. Help help some listeners out here. Uh, what'd you make your first uh, your first gig as weekend sports guy in Tulsa? I think the actual salary, Steve, was thirty grand, but wow. it was hourly at that, and <laughs> so I got overtime because we all work overtime in this business, and so I was fortunate in that regard because I mean Tulsa's market fifty eight or something like that, and so. I mean, that, is, that, is luc- that is lucrative by broadcast standards. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I know a lot, a lot of my college friends who went into broadcasting, who started in markets that were smaller. I mean, 18, 19, 20, 24,000. That's kind of what they were looking at. I mean, poverty line type of stuff. And so I was very fortunate in that regard. I bet I never cleared less than 35, given the overtime that I got. So I, I th- we're here to have you talk about television, the role of television in consumer sports media um, diet throughout the course of their you know consumption through each week, through each season. But I do want it. It, it feels like, and knowing you the way I do, Steve, it, it's an important note here that a you're not giving yourself enough credit. You, you certainly give mom a lot of credit and a lot of the people that that have helped you along the way. But I I know you well enough that you need to take some of the credit for all the work that you've done and the talent that you have. But it does feel like it's not like you didn't talk a lot about classes in that in that explanation. You talked a lot about experience. And I think this is an important before we get into the TV stuff. I I think for young broadcasters, it's important to hear the message of do whatever it takes, make yourself available and give yourself experiences, because that's almost going to be more valuable than what you you learn in a a classroom or even on a fake set at a school. 100% agree with that assessment, Braden. I tell people all the time 
that the experience is the most important piece. You can learn the basics in a classroom, but if you're going for a job, especially in TV, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me where I went to school or asked for a diploma or my GPA or anything that goes along with that. They only want to see the tape. They want to see how you look on TV. Do you sound credible? And what's your presentation like? And I was accepted to most of the at least Midwestern journalism schools, Missouri, Indiana, those types of places. And I chose Illinois strictly for the experience factor of it because I already kind of had a foot in the door there. And I think that decision and the experiences I got at that point gave me the amount of hours and reps as an 18, 19, 20 year old kid that allowed me to have the head start at 22 or 23 when I was coming out of school. I always tell people when they come in and intern for us, Braden, I say this, I hope more than anything else in your time with us that you figure out two things. First and foremost, do you truly love this? Because we get a lot of kids when we interview them who say, I just love sports and I love TV. So I think that would be perfect to be a sports reporter. Well, I think you find out when you actually do the job and you're not just watching with your buddies, maybe over a beer at school or whatever, but you actually come in and you're not drinking that beer and you're there till 11 o'clock at night and the newscast got pushed back because the game was on your air. And so now you're going on at 11.07, which means it's a Saturday night and you're not getting out of work until 11.45. And then, oh, by the way, tomorrow's a Sunday, but you gotta be back because that's your biggest day of the week because we had a 30 minute show that night. And Monday happens to be a holiday, but you gotta work that too because Monday's a big day for what you're doing. Do you still love it? Do you still want to do that every yeah. day? And then the other part of it is get the experience. Get the experience that you're maybe not getting in a classroom. Do you like coming up with stand-ups every time you go to Titans practice to do a different story? Do you like having to come up with a new angle every single day as opposed to just talking about the game on Sunday? It's fun to go to games every weekend. Absolutely. Getting in free, that's awesome. Having to go to practice every single day during training camp when it's 100 degrees or in November when we're outside talking to Vrabel and all of a sudden it's 30 degrees and you're there, that part gets a little bit more tedious. Do you still love that part? I, I don't know. You're a Midwesterner. You can handle 30 and some snowdrift. Like, you're good. You're and good I actually 30. have coats. So I, I brought them with <laughs> right, me right. and I'll wear them if needed. Um, all right. So let's give everybody sort of a baseline understanding of what you do each week. Like, what does your schedule look like? Uh, you obviously have a sports line. You've got uh, the, the nightly broadcast stuff that you work on. So try to explain to everybody what the amount of time and the amount of content you create each week and sort of what are the goals behind each one of those pieces of content? So my basic week is Sunday through Wednesday. I am the anchor for sports. And I, I tag team our Sunday night show with John Burton, who does the rest of the week in the anchor chair or standing as we do it. But on Sunday, it's our biggest day. And so certainly that's geared around football season for the most part. But if there's a football game going on, I'm in Nissan Stadium at 10 a.m. or oftentimes on the road in a normal non-COVID year. And then we have this 30-minute show at 10.20 usually on Sunday nights. And we break down all the action, and that is where we really get in depth. We bring Jonathan Hutton on. We try to go behind the scenes. We give you the inside info. We try to break down key plays. It's not just the information. It's not just the highlights. We really try to go in depth and give you the inside information, whether it be Titans during the season, the offseason news, or maybe Predators during the playoffs, 
college basketball, those types of things. So that's what that shows for. Monday through Wednesday or any other day at work, it's pretty much a daily grind is what you're looking for. And it is all determined really on what the teams are doing. So most of the time during football season, my day starts at 11-ish because that's usually when the Titans start their media availability at a practice. And I go 11 to 10.45 or whenever we get off the air. I'm usually in our four and five during football season or any day that it breaks. And that is truly the story of the day. Hammer home the breaking news or whatever's happening there. And then at 6.30 and 10 every night, we have our sportscast, which is usually three and a half minutes at 6.30, three minutes-ish at 10. And that's the daily news and the Titans, Vols, Vanderbilts, Preds, Nashville SC, whatever. And then the rest of the week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I try to take two days off in there. That doesn't always happen. It's usually dictated on, is there a big college football game that I need to go to? Is there a big Predators game, Nashville SC match, whatever. And basically the schedule dictates, am I anchoring? Am I on the road? Which day I'm working? So so on and so forth. Take us through the short segment, the the three the three minute newscast. What, what sort of talk the people through your thought process on how you evaluate what's important enough to make that that very short segment? Because I and I will I will brag on you a little bit here, man. I, there's very few people I've ever worked with that can sit down for four straight hours without a laptop and talk about every single thing in Nashville without any help whatsoever off the top of their head. And and you can do it in 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 an incredible way. How do you decide what makes the three minutes and how do you decide what gets cut? Go off of interest. I think in a way it's a little bit like a radio show in that regard, only you're not repeating obviously within three minutes. And so obviously here the Titans are kind of the number one story year round, even when they're not playing. So you're almost always going to have something in on them this time of year during the fall. If I've got three minutes, I bet a minute 20 of it is Titans. It's what's going on. What's the biggest story happening. So yesterday it was pretty much Taylor Lewan getting hurt and kind of the impact of that. And then there was kind of a sidebar issue. So that gets me to a minute 20 to go through those two stories. And then after that, it becomes what's relevant. So yesterday, again, Tua became the starting quarterback for the Dolphins. And I thought, okay, This is somebody everybody around here knows. It's not going to take me forever. I'll do it in 10 seconds. But it's important to get that news out because there's a bunch of Alabama fans who are going to care. And then after that, you go into maybe a little bit Vanderbilt news of their practice, what they're doing this week, maybe a ball story. Nashville SC has a match, kind of however that goes. All right, you're pretty much at three minutes right there. And Obviously, this year has been different, too, because you've got all these playoffs that are going on sort of simultaneously. I mean, for a while there, we had – Stanley Cup final, NBA final, and the Major League Baseball playoffs starting at the same time. And so you're trying to get that in because I think people care. And obviously that eats up time too. So you just do your best trying to think, what do the most people care about right now? And how can I fit it as efficiently into three minutes as possible, but yet still tell the stories? So what viewers are you trying to reach? And do you you know your audience? Because like, if I'm a hardcore sports fan, I'm I'm going to Sports Center. I'm going to one of the the big national shows that's giving me an hour long kind of broadcast. I, I'm going to I've already been online and I've seen highlights. What what is that viewer for you? Who are you looking to reach? 
Yeah, I think it has to be different, Steve. And so I'll start with one thing. At our station, we have this fictional viewer named Lisa, who I believe the <laughs> age range there is 25 to 44. And that's kind of the target demo that News Channel 5 goes for, because we're really strong in, frankly, every part of the demographics, but we're really strong in particular ones. That one maybe isn't the strongest area, and it's an area where our, our advertisers care a lot about. And so we gear stories to Lisa to some degree with that. And I always think about that because I don't know necessarily if Lisa is a sports fan or not. So I want to give information that if you're a sports fan, you'll find interesting, give you a sound bite that you'll be like, wow. Mike Vrabel really said that, huh? Or like, that's funny, that, that sense of humor. Or, I appreciate that. I want to give you the daily news. I want to spread it out to, to Braden's point. I like to think I have a knowledge base of everything in town. And so what you won't get if you're watching ESPN or if you follow exclusively a blog of the Titans, maybe you'll go more in depth there. But if you look at what we do, okay, I'll give you some Titan stuff, but I'm also going to give you the latest on Nashville SC, the Predators, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and maybe the biggest story nationally. And I'm gonna do it in three minutes. I don't know how many people who can do that elsewhere. So try to give you that versatility of it as well. And then the, the last thing I just try to do is I try to provide a moment, whether that be something I write, a visual we give you, a highlight we give you. I wanna give you something that when it's over, even if you are a casual news viewer, not a sports fan, you're going to watch it at the end and be like, man, was that wreck in NASCAR awesome or what? Or <laughs> that was hilarious how we did that intro or, you know, whatever it is. I, I want to leave you with a moment. So at the end of three minutes, you think, you know what, that's fun. I'm not the biggest sports guy, but tomorrow night when he comes on again, I'm not turning the, I'm not switching the dial or turning the TV off because that was cool. One of the sort of, I guess, the crisis moments for the national guys, whether it's ESPN or whomever else has been sort of the drift online and sort of how their content is going to play online. If, if you're if you're a sports center watcher, for instance, you've seen it change from being kind of straight highlights to being, I mean, if you look at Ben Pelt's show now, it's almost like a talk show at, at, at 11 o'clock. Is there any consideration to what you do for, for Channel 5 is going to play on Facebook? play on Twitter or, or Instagram. Is that content repurposed at all? And is there any sort of consideration into, into how you, you shape it? I can honestly say for television purposes, no. Uh, my sole goal is to give you the best three minutes or three and a half minutes or on a Sunday night show, 22 and a half minutes of content possible. So I want to do that from a television perspective. And then if it, if it goes into another area, great but I want to do the best possible television show first. There's definitely an avenue for those things. One thing that impacts us, Steve, with sports is the television rights for games are so exclusive. They oftentimes have tags to them about, you can't use it on digital, you can't use it on websites, those types of things. So while we have access and we can do it on TV, it may be great segments, and I would love to, after it's over, say, oh, that was a great segment. Let's put it up on our Facebook page or whatever. Chances are the NFL or Major League Baseball or NHL or whatever has a rule that says we can't do it. And so we have to be pretty careful about that part, too. So the way I view it is when I sit down every day, 
I'm producing a show to produce a show for television. I hope it's the best possible TV show we can make. And then when it's over, if there's something that can cross over and doesn't violate any of those restrictions, great, let's push that as much as we can. If not, maybe there's another way we can find some added value or added content for those platforms. In your opinion, what would be the main difference between doing a broadcast for that market on television versus doing that broadcast on online? It, it feels like there would be, I mean, certainly maybe a younger audience, I guess, but it doesn't really even feel like that. It, it feels like it would largely work. Like if it works on television, it should work on Facebook Live. Or is that, What do you think the difference is and, and how, why would there be a difference? First and foremost, it goes back to the video from my perspective. I can't do some of the things I do on TV. It would work in those platforms. I just don't, I'm not allowed to. So that's, okay. that's part of it. But in terms of the audience, yeah, I think it's different. I think you're skewing younger, probably, if you're going on Twitter, Facebook, and a lot of times, certainly Instagram, some of those places, you're definitely skewing to a different audience at that point. I also think even though three minutes isn't a long time, I think there's an even shorter appetite for things when you talk about a Twitter post or a Facebook post or something like that. I can't give you the versatility in a post of one of those things. I have to give you, all right, this is what Taylor Lewan said. This is, this is the biggest story going today, and here's how we're going to purpose it for Twitter or Facebook or what have you. I can't follow that up then with Vanderbilt returning to practice this week. It just, it doesn't work that way. And so you have to repurpose how you do things. I think the messaging is different. You talked about, you talked about this uh, sort of hypothetical Lisa. Is Lisa a cord cutter? <laughs> Gosh, we hope not. Uh, <laughs> not much anyway. The, the thing that we do a lot now, and I probably can't even explain this as well as maybe you'd like the answer to be, but we do a thing called OTT over the top and we do Hulu and Roku and, and all of those various different platforms because I think we do understand that the television audience is shrinking because people just aren't consuming television in the same way they did. There used to be, I think very consistently, I mean, I think my parents were like this when I was growing up. So I don't even have to go back to grandparents or something like that, but they used to have the, 5.30 evening national news on, the six o'clock local news on, and then we'd sit down and have dinner. And then they probably had the 10 o'clock news on before they went to bed. Or if I was up, it might still be on as I got older. I don't think there are many people that do that anymore, where they devote an hour a day to watch local news or an hour and a half a day to watch news on TV. They've got their avenues to find it at 2 p.m. or 5 p.m. or wherever they do it. And so we hope you join us on TV for sure. But I think we understand that it's not going to be an appointment viewing for our 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock and our 10 o'clock. Maybe you join one, but maybe you catch another one over the top somehow. Maybe you watch us at work on Roku or, or however, your, your iPhone, however you're going to do it. And then hopefully you find us online and in other platforms as well. Go a little bit more into detail about that uh, migration, right, from from the TV set onto the all the other screens that we that we all have. You know, and you can maybe package this around. What does your job? You're at News Channel Five ten years from now. What does your job look like ten years from now? You're still at the same company. You're still delivering the same stuff, but how does it look? I would like to think our daily product is going to look the same. 
I don't know if how viewers consume it will look the same. And I hope you follow that. So I think the type of product we do, the type of newscast and the stories we cover from the A block and news and local and national politics and all that sort of stuff, down to weather and sports. I think that's gonna have a very similar presentation five years from now or 10 years from now. The question will be in 10 years from now, does anybody in America have a television? You know, or are we all watching in other, in other ways? And I think our station's been very good at adapting to that. I think the business understands having to adapt to that. And so we're finding more and more ways to do those various things. So I think it will look different, but I think it's gonna look mostly different on the consumer end of things. My job has always been to follow what's going on at the moment. And so if a story breaks at 10 a.m., just because I may not be on the air until 6 p.m. that night, I've got to be on top of that story at 10 a.m. You know, during all these COVID cases, I was up every morning at 7 a.m. texting sources at St. Thomas Sports Park to see if they knew what the latest on the testing so that I could confirm it or maybe get it first, whatever, whenever that came in that morning. And we did that for two straight weeks. I was still on the air at 10.45 at night or 10.35 at night and leaving the building at 10.45, but I was up at 7 a.m. every day, which isn't necessarily normal for me, to <laughs> hit that, you know? And that's just part of the job. And I wasn't on air on, I don't think, any of those days until 4 p.m., but I probably had to write a story. I certainly had to be on Twitter and social media and all those places and get it out that way and then be ready to go in and be in the four and then update the story at five, and update the story at six, and then do those sports guys at 6.30 and at 10.20 every day. So that was just kind of how it is. I don't think that part of the job for me changes a whole lot in the next few years. I do think how people consume what I'm doing there may potentially change. So Steve, and I'm not trying to, you know, reveal industry, industry secrets here on, on what you guys are going to do better than everybody else. That's not the goal with this question. But again, can you, is there any detail, any strategic stuff, tactical stuff that you think will be at play to help that process to, 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 to sort of be in a position to understand those forces are coming? How do we position ourselves to take advantage of it? That's a great question. And I think it's a little bit of trial and error, Britain. I think even over the last several years, we've put our emphasis in various places on social media. And I think then maybe after a year, we found out maybe that wasn't the greatest approach. Or I can tell you one, for instance, is, and we value Facebook a lot. I think probably when you look at social media from our company, we probably put more into social media on Facebook than any other platform. That said, I think a few years ago, we had the idea that more Facebook, more posts, more quantity of things on that was what people were looking for. Just flood them with information. And that's what, we want, what they want. And I think what we found from interacting with our viewers or our audience on social media in this case, is they're not actually looking for you to flood their timeline. They're looking for you to give them the best possible content. Give them a story that they cannot miss before they actually put down the laptop and go to work for today. Give them a story they absolutely have to read or show them a picture they actually absolutely have to see. And I think we've realized just from a Facebook perspective that quality content beats quantity content. And that's just an example of we had this idea we knew the world was trending that direction, 
but maybe the way we started our emphasis there wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. And we've since adjusted and performed much better in that metric. So I think that's what we'll be moving forward. Is Facebook still the number one thing two or three years from now? I don't know. I'm not sure if it is. Maybe it will be. But I think you have to be willing to look at the numbers, which we study all the time in our digital places and, and with people in higher ranking positions throughout the company and at News Channel 5. And you have to be able to look at the data and then make the best possible adjustments for that. Every team in the market now, at least every professional team, is also a publisher. Uh, how do you compete with somebody like the Titans who is, they're, they're churning out five, six, eight stories a day. Nashville SC is going to put uh, is going to put full highlights and, and and breakdowns. You know the the Preds and the NHL have long been have long been putting various highlight packages on their site really quickly to the point that you know most fans know that within an hour after the game they can get like a full visual breakdown of a, of, of a game. How do you compete with something like that? I don't think we are. I think we're just a different audience. We do different things than that. And you guys had Paul Karski on last week and I was listening to that and I thought he brought up a really good point that there's just different avenues. You know, Jim Wyatt now reports for the Titans and he gives great information, but it's kind of insider. He's not going to break any story. He's not going to tell you injury stuff now, but he gives you a great inside the Titans sort of building perspective at what's going on. PK takes the critical aspect of those sort of things and goes outside the building, but sort of breaks down what's happening. You have your local papers that are giving you the daily news up to date. You have your independent journalist or sports thought makers at this point now that are in different places. They give you whatever their site tries to be. I just think we're different. And I've always thought, you know, maybe now because the Titans are really good, they're getting more national coverage. But for the longest time, I thought, if you care about the Titans and you want to see something on TV, you want to see the greatest play, and then you want it to be followed by the inside the locker room access that we get because we travel with the team to Kansas City or Baltimore or after the game here, frankly, the only place you can really get that is with us. We're going to give you that in a way that nobody else can do. I think same thing goes for the Predators. I think same thing goes for Nashville SC. Are we the most in-depth place every day? No, that's what our Sunday show's for. We don't compete with those people in the same regards on every other place. But I think we have a value that nobody else really brings in the local marketplace. And again, okay, so maybe now ESPN's caught on to the Titans because Derrick Henry could be the MVP and Ryan Tannehill's lights out right now. So now they're talking about the Titans. But are they talking about Nashville SC? Ever? Have they ever talked about? Probably not. Do they talk about Vanderbilt or Tennessee or any of that? Probably not. So if you want all of that in your three or four minute chunk, whatever it is, I think you still have to tune into us to get it. Steve talks about self-publishing and, and Steve Cavendish, that is, as I'm talking with two Steves. What about self-distribution for you know, you guys? And again, you may have covered some of this with your focus on digital, Facebook. Where's the point where the cord cutter actually still comes to News Channel 5 because you just, you're just distributing on your own now the way the Preds could, in theory, you know, distribute their own radio broadcast or the Titans could distribute their own television broadcast if they paid to have the infrastructure. At what point does, does that become the way people watch and consume News Channel 5? 
a good question. I think you have to be out there and I think you have to be visible. I think you have to find a level of credibility with people, whatever that is. So I've been fortunate enough to break a handful of stories over my time here in Nashville, which I think gives me a level of credibility that I'm not sure everybody in the market has. And we certainly cover everything. I am everywhere. I mean, I've missed my first Titans games this year ever because of COVID. So in the normal sense, we always have a presence at those games. And I think that part of it is hopefully obvious to people. And that's why they keep coming back because we have a level of expertise and and relationship in some of these things that keep people coming back. I personally could probably do a better job of self-promotion. I I like to stay out of the muck. I don't really like to do the self-promotion thing. I don't like to jump in on topics just to jump in on topics, even though it might, you know, increase my clicks a little bit or get me a hundred flat followers overnight or whatever. But I like to think that if you just do quality work and you do it consistently and you do it for a while in a place, people are going to understand that, all right, when I want good Titans news on TV or whatever the case may be, I'm going to tune into that place. Or if I want a, a wide variety of things, I'm going to watch that guy. And hopefully we're able to do that. Everybody's broadcasts have been altered by COVID. What's your setup like right now? How much are you in the studio versus uh, broadcasting from home? And how much are you traveling to see games away from Nashville? Zero to the last part of that question, which is sad because it's a huge part of our job. And I think it's a huge part of what sets us apart. I believe since the Titans arrived here, News Channel 5 went to every road game away from Nashville, except for (laughs) the year I broke my neck. We didn't travel because we just didn't have the bodies to do it. And Jonathan Hutton was there. So we used him on the road but we didn't travel and anchor for those games. And now this year. So like we went to London, we've been to every playoff game. We've done all that stuff. And I think that's a huge feather in the cap for the resources. The station has wanted to pour into this and to say, we're going to be there. We're going to be wherever they make news all the time. And you can count on us for that. So COVID has definitely changed that sad. I hope in the next month or so, we're going to get back on the road as this season progresses and things open up a little bit more in regards to that. In terms of my setup, I've been really lucky. I get to go to the station every single day. I broadcast from in the studio every night. We do our Sunday show in the studio. So that's been nice because I still have all the bells and whistles that are there. Our producers are no longer in the building. So that's a little bit different. I can't just holler across the office to Brian McKeegan, our executive producer, and say, hey, what about this story? Or, hey, can you find this play or whatever we need it to be? I now have to text him, or if it's really tight, I got to call him and try and get a hold of him and get him to do it away from the building because he'll be at home doing it. So that's definitely different in the workflow. But in terms of what you see as a viewer, we are the only station in the market that stayed in the studio as far as sports goes throughout this entire process. We're also the only station in the market that did sports every night. I mean, in April, when there were no sports going on, we were still doing sports (laughs) and figuring out how to put it on the air with either the day's information or something that hopefully you're going to find interesting that took you away from COVID. And I give my bosses a ton of credit for that. They kind of listened to my vision at the beginning of it. Look, sports, even if they're not going, can be a respite in what is going to be 25, 30 minutes, an hour of terrible news 
for the next five or six weeks. Give people two minutes. Give them three minutes of something to get away. And we tried to do some fun things. We, we invented the NCAA tournament. We used analytics and played out the entire NCAA tournament doing that, using highlights from games that already happened during the year. I thought that was pretty fun. It was well-received by people. And then we also created this thing called Curtain Call, where we took – it was kind of a Scott Van Pelt Sports Center thing where we took high school athletes, college athletes, had their seasons cut short, and we saluted them for what they did. We did about a minute a night doing that. And then John Burton showed off his biceps every day, and he did JB's workout in 60. He's a personal yeah. trainer <laughs> I, away I saw, from the office. And I saw so some of his workouts in the office and those sort of things, trying to get people – to get off their butt during COVID and okay, maybe you can't go to the gym. Maybe you can't get outside, but you can do it in your living room. Gosh, darn it. And try and stay healthy. So <laughs> we tried to be creative, but fortunately we were able to stay in the building to do it. You've mentioned a few different times during this conversation about, you know, some trial and error quantity versus quality. You just got back to that just a minute ago, talking about doing the quality work that people will still come to you and find it. I'm just curious, and this is not necessarily a TV question, although uh, it certainly affects TV the most because it's such a visual medium and, and there's such a, a, a visual element. You know, whatever you want to call it, uh, embrace debate, broadest set of the audience, the, these scientific terms for how you deliver content that does sort of dumb it down to its simplest form for users has been such a big driving force for content across all mediums for a very long time, at least the last 10 or 15 years. It, do you think that there is going to be amongst fans, sports fans, a pushback to that, to where we can just get back to having normal, you know, regular conversations the way you and I used to have sitting at a bar, having a glass of whiskey, where we could just discuss a football team. Like, like, or do you think that, cause again, some of that's the audience fault. It's not just the media's fault. Some of that's the audience's fault and their appetite. Do you believe that we are going to have a pushback from fans on that? And maybe even media too? I think you might. I think we're getting there. And frankly, it's probably not just in sports. We kind of have a debate society right now, right? You know, you're either on the right side or you're the wrong side. And you argue it from, from that point of view, no matter who you're talking about and whatever the topic is. And I think there's a level of the country that's probably frustrated with that and wants to see a total shakeup in it. We'll see how that happens. And I think we'll probably get a feel for that maybe over the next several months or a couple of years after this election cycle is over, frankly, because isn't everything right now about that? But I do think there might be a, a place, again, where people want to just get back to the basics and not have to do with that and not have to embrace debate with every television show out there. I, I think that's what we do, frankly. I think that's what we provide people. Do people gravitate more back towards that? Maybe. I, I think one thing that's a huge benefit for consumers right now is there is so much out there. If you don't like First Take or one of those debate shows, you can find that stuff elsewhere. You can go to social media. You can listen to a local talk show. You can go to other places to get similar types of information, but maybe presented a different way. And I think that's a real advantageous things for consumers right now, whether they ultimately gravitate to very specific sects of that. And so the people who aren't winning that battle have to adjust only time will tell. But I, I do think there is a place right now for sort of all of these elements. If you want to debate things, you want to be fired up on every topic and say, no, you're wrong. Ryan Tannehill's the greatest quarterback ever, not just in the last two weeks. 
you know, you can get to that if you want to, but do, does everybody want to consume their media that way? Probably not. And so I think there's other things that they can go back to as well. Steve, what is the thing that happens on a television newscast that people have no clue about? I think the hardest thing is when someone talks to you as you're talking, you're in the middle of whatever you're doing and you've got a producer or a director in your ear telling you, Hey, we don't have five thirty. which by the way, small pet peeve here. We number every, we number every script or story in a rundown. So if, if your block is the 500 block, it'd be like 505, 510, whatever. So they tell you it's five thirty. I guarantee you, if I'm on 510, I have no idea what 530 is. If you just tell me what that is in my ear, I, no shot. Cause I'm in the middle of 510 <laughs> and that's probably two topics from now. So first off, you start with 530. I don't even know what that means, but I know something's not there or changing or whatever. And I'm trying to think in my head, what is this? What are they talking about? What am I doing while still reading or probably looking at a highlight or whatever? So you're multitasking it at once. I don't know if you ever truly get comfortable with that, but you have to be able to play it off to some degree. That's why I laugh at people who think that maybe Biden had an earpiece in the first debate is anybody who thinks that he wasn't cognitive enough to get through the debate on his own has never done TV if they think he could have stood up there and had someone tell him in his ear while being out there, this is what you need to say. Go there, do that. I mean. If he was having issues, he would have just keeled over. There would have been no <laughs> So, you know, that's, that's the thing. I think that's probably the hardest. Just dealing with things on the fly is just a really important skill to have. And, and you know this from radio. It's the same thing there. The only thing on TV is while you have to pause and think about where you're going to go and what you're going to say in a similar way to radio, you have to do that in a way that doesn't give off that you're terrified. You can't look panicked when that moment happens on TV. <laughs> and I've certainly seen that happen to people before. News Channel 5 has gone to doing a lot of stand-up work, maybe aggr- aggressively. And this is a trend in local news as, as people have changed studios and people have changed, uh, changed visuals. Is that, is that harder than hiding behind a desk? And do you have to be conscious of your pants now? Yeah, and I can't wear flip-flops to work anymore. It's kind of a bummer. I used to be able to do that. I love the weekends when the bosses weren't there and you could go in and it's like shirts untucked, tie, coat. And, you know, you're wearing back in the day, it was probably cargo shorts or something (laughs) like that. And flip flops. You can't do that anymore. So it's a little different, but I should go basketball shorts. That sounds way cooler these days. I was going to say, you, you're, you know, you wouldn't be caught dead in a pair of cargo shorts now, man. I know. Absolutely not. I am wearing basketball (laughs) shorts right now for this podcast. This for, for anybody who thinks about that, but I, so that has changed. I actually think standing for sports, I love it. Because number one, I think there's a lot you can do visually in sports that is just totally different from the typical part of a newscast that to be able to use our entire studio. I mean, I essentially every night have rain to like 70% of the studio. I can't use the weather set and I can't use the anchor desk during my sports cast. I can during Sunday Sports Central, but I can't during our sports cast. But I have the rest of the studio at my disposal to do whatever I want. And so, I mean, I can use 50% of it at once on shots. I can use video, giant. I can use 
six graphics at once. I mean, I can do all sorts of things that I think help you tell the story. And then just functionally as a presenter, I think standing makes you more relaxed. When you're bunched up at a desk and you're kind of in one spot, I think it limits your energy and what you can do. And when you're standing, I think it gives you a little bit more. And so I love the fact we've gone to our new studio, whatever it was, four years ago now, I think, three and a half years ago. And I just think I can do so much more with it that I think it's really enhanced our product. This may be a, a really dumb question, but why is the visual medium so much more visceral than, than any other thing that people consume? You know, there's a number of stories that are regular stories. They're out there in print. They're out there on radio. People are talking about it. Doesn't matter. Somebody sees a video of it. Boom, done. Huge story explodes. The whole world knows about it. it I, I, we probably need a psychologist and a medical doctor and a sportscaster to combine on this answer. But I, do you have any theories? Yeah, I think on the, on the broad scale, it goes back to people's attention spans right now. So how many people are going to sit down? Hopefully a lot, but want to listen to us talk for an hour about all this stuff. Hundreds of thousands, Steve. I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> but, you know, like you, you have a very specific audience for podcasts who are going to devote an hour of their time. Most people don't do that with how they consume their media and those types of things. Are they going to listen to a radio host talk for 12 minutes? about a particular topic when they go online are they going to actually click on the link and read the entire article or are they going to read the headline and think eh i probably got the gist of what's going on here i'll just move on where when you give them the video clip it's sort of hard to ignore think about derrick henry's stiff arm of josh norman we can talk about it all day it was incredible he trashed it. you know he he made him go bill's mafia on the card table only there was no card table like we can talk about that all we want and maybe be funny about it, but we can't nearly do it justice as just showing someone the five second clip of him face arming Josh Norman in that outer space, you know? And that's the thing that you get in those platforms like Twitter with GIFs and those types of things. And it's what you frankly get with television. You know, I can show Derrick Henry from 15 different angles in a giant monitor behind me giving that stiff arm and then I can go to sound from the players talking about it and I give all that to you in probably 45 seconds I don't know where else you can duplicate that <laughs> Steve Lehman everybody News Channel 5 always a pleasure love talking with you man uh, I recognize that building back there I miss it good to talk to you man good to have you thanks for having me I wish you guys the best of luck with this I want to say something I think this is really important what you guys are doing and I know you've talked to other people about this but we, we have a problem. I think it's fair to say we have a problem in media right now and how things are sometimes reported, how things are portrayed, the divide that goes on there. And I think we definitely have a problem with consumers, not always trusting that and not knowing where to go and how to identify what good things are. I think learning about how people do sourcing, I think learning about how big companies market what they're trying to do, the product they're trying to get out to people. I think that's really important to people. And I, I hope your podcast goes far and wide to people here in Middle Tennessee. And I hope more and more people kind of get ingrained of what's going on because frankly, all this reporting is good. And some of it does have a side. Some of it has another side. I think it's just important for people to be able to recognize that, look at all the information and choose for themselves. And I think it's a very cloudy atmosphere right now and people are struggling to wade through it. And I think from what I've heard so far, you guys are doing a good job of tackling some of those issues. That is the goal. I'm not sure we could have 
said it any better than that. No, so. you want to come on every week and say just that? Yeah, are you free next week? I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the promos whenever you want, guys. Right. Steve Layman, News Channel 5, everybody. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, guys. Special thanks to sports anchor for News Channel 5, Steve Lehman, for joining us this week on Lamestream Sports. Steve, a lot to get to. Other Steve, Steve Cavendish. A lot to get to with him. So smart, so talented, and has to package it all into three minutes. So it's it's quite an interesting job he's got right now at News Channel 5. You know, that three minutes is really interesting because the sports viewer who wants more is already elsewhere. I mean, they're, they're watching, you know, good morning football on the NFL network for an hour before they go to work or perhaps listening to a podcast, perhaps listening to a podcast, perhaps listening to multiple podcasts, many, many numerous podcasts. We have many suggestions to make (laughs) there. They could be, you know, they're going to be, they're already watching sports center. They're already watching something else online. They've got house of highlights in their Instagram feed and they're just, you know, they're constantly queuing it up. They want to see, they want to see that. And so I found it fascinating that he's talking about the sort of mythical Lisa as uh, as a viewer that they're sort of aiming towards. Who is this person? Because legacy media and legacy broadcast media is is constantly trying to find what viewers are still out there. You know, in this era of cord cutting and in this era of of shifting. You know, cable subs are down, and you know they're they're trying to tell people how to go put antennas back on their houses because they want those people. You know, whether or not their their content appears on YouTube TV or not, or it's a it's a complete challenge for them. And so I find it interesting that that they've got this this sort of figure in in their heads that okay, when in doubt, we're going to try to reach Lisa, and that's and that's a fascinating sort of way to approach it. I think so too, because I think what probably regular consumers who work in any other walk of life don't necessarily realize about advertising demographics, audiences, all that stuff is that, that you can you can focus it as sharply and as finely as you want, right? If you want to go run a Facebook ad, you could drill down into a million different demographics and psychographics and really pick out the specific people you want to target. But if you think about it and you just laid it out, if you're a diehard football fan, you're probably not watching that particular sports cast. If you're, you know, don't care about sports at all, maybe you are watching that sports cast. And and so how do you appeal to more people, stay interesting, and in Steve's case, in my opinion, a guy who's got four and a half hours of content in his brain at any moment and try to deliver it in a three-minute package that not only informs and educates, but also entertains. And so who is that person? I Listen, I don't watch, I'll, listen, I'll be fair. I would watch Steve talk about anything, but I don't watch local news. It's not, a, it's not a thing that I consume. I have a lot of other things that I consume. That's not one of them. You know, it's, it's weird. I didn't watch a ton of local news before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, because so much of it was, was more relevant, my wife and I started picking up a local news habit again. We always, we always tried to catch whatever, like one of the national broadcasts. We've been fans of Nora O'Donnell and the CBS broadcast. It's really good because it gives you like this kind of super tight encapsulated view of news for the day. And so we, we, we've kept it, we kept it on five afterwards during the pandemic because their coverage of, you know, how the coronavirus is spreading, the state reaction, the national reaction, kind of all the impacts here were really, really good. And so, so we picked up that local news habit again, which I think may be sort of atypical. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks my age don't watch local news, and I, I've gotten, a, I've got an appreciation for, for what they've been trying to do, and 
and Steve in particular has done a really nice job uh, of trying to keep that viewer who's there for other things. I mean, nobody's coming to him for sports because it's, it's really hard to say, okay, we want you to tune in at, you know, six Oh eight for the next three minutes. Right. And he's done a, he's done a, a really nice job with it, but man, that's, that's, that's a brutal sort of ask. It's very hard. It's a very hard job, and I think he's very, very good at it. You know, for example, my parents would have watched the nightly news, whatever it was, every single night, basically. My wife and I do not, and that is, that's a function of many things that we've talked about on the show before, which is age differences, technology differences, all the same stuff that we've talked about. My question is, and I would like to know what your hypothesis on the answer to this is, which is, what are they going to do about it? Because we, you've talked a lot on every episode. It feels like you've used the word disruption when it comes to print media, when it comes to radio, when it comes to, and it's TV's no different. There is a massive disruption that has happened in legacy media. And what is a television station going to do? And we asked him about that. What, what does your job look like in 10 years? And he still feels like his job is the same to be entertaining and informative and thoughtful for that three and a half minutes for a broad set of the audience. What does the station look like? in 10 years, I think is a very different question. I don't think they know. I mean, if they knew they would be deploying those assets differently, you know, we've, we've talked about this before and I ask him about, you know, like Van Pelt's broadcast on uh, nightly on ESPN. That thing's interesting to me because ESPN has made this sort of determination that they're going to socialize clips from that, from that show. So that, you know, it's easy to find them on Facebook or snap or Instagram or wherever else. I don't think, local can do that and you heard his answer about how they rights yeah and 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 just kind of well and just kind of like how they use facebook they don't have an answer for what the next iteration of a local news broadcast is but they do know this that is a that is the prime revenue driver for these stations and so they're they're trying very hard to figure it out if you ever wonder why Anchors get shuffled in markets. I mean, Channel Four has has blown up most of their lineup here over the over the past two or three years. You know, starting with Dimitri Kalidimos, all the way up to this latest round of layoffs of like really familiar faces because they're stuck in they're stuck in third, sometimes fourth, trying to figure out what to do, and they're doing it with fewer and fewer viewers tuning into local news every day. Tell me this: Why is the answer not move it all online? For, for lack of a better phrase, because there's like, not a because there's not a revenue model that follows that. I mean, so tune into a local news broadcast. Who are the big advertisers? I mean, it's Bart Durham, it's Steiger Green and Finer, it's you know, it's it's plaintiffs attorneys, and it's uh, you know, there's a lot of motorcycle accidents in Nashville. Apparently, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of flooring commercials, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But the, isn't there going to be a new wave of advertisers too? But see, when you when you go online, like for instance, in, in, and again, understand the model. If Bart Durham wants to reach a certain segment of audience. That's why he goes to Channel 5 and, and advertises on yeah. their on their broadcast. You know, if he wants to go online, he's going with these highly targeted ads on 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 Google Ads or on Facebook. Yeah. He's he's already got he's got a different solution that 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 broadcast once you just transferring it over to the internet doesn't necessarily fit. The geo targets like 37069. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. So again, I think it's fascinating where it's all going. I do think that and I'm stealing your phrase, the, the, the disruption of market forces is, is at play across all of these mediums and is going to be a theme that you hear throughout almost all of these episodes. I, I think the other thing to, to remember is that he is, Steve Lehman, is acutely aware of how powerful the visual medium is and what he can use that for to his advantage. And he, the ability to 
present something in not only a thoughtful and entertaining way, but a, a creative and lasting way so that you have a memory. You are, I think you used the phrase, I want to leave you with something special, like that kind of thing for every, that's hard to do while also telling the game recap in three and a half minutes. And also doing it with a, with a producer in your ear. Right. I mean, if you've, if you've ever, if you've ever had the the chance to do TV, there is, It is it is hard, it is hard for you to concentrate. You're you're sitting there trying to make whatever point that you're doing, while you know a producer who may not even be in the same state with you is 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 talking in your ear. I've I've done I've done some national TV and man, it is you're you're halfway through making a point when somebody says, okay, you, Steve, you got 15 seconds. You bet, you, and then you have to get out. And you lose your train of thought, but I mean, at least I do because I'm not a I'm not a trained TV guy. So I've got two stories that that kind of wrap up those two points. And and number one, Steve, I thought led off the interview with a fantastic story of his bio and how he got started in the business. And I think it is a very important lesson for young broadcasters, young people in the media that want to aspire to do something like Steve does. That and I think it applies to every medium, print or otherwise. That experience is what matters. Your work is what matters. Unfortunately, it's not what grade you got in comms 301 or whatever and what college you went to. Um, it's not about that stuff. It's about, in TV in particular, what do you look like on camera? How, how good are you on camera? Hear Ra- that, hear that, Medill grads? It's not necessarily <laughs> the school you went to. And for radio, it's how do you sound? It's it's how do you execute and that, and that kind of stuff. And so I've got... It's interesting you talk about the, the the talking in the ear and the producer. I've done some TV stuff before, but the toughest show I've ever done with a producer in my ear was actually ESPN Radio when I was working for out of Bristol last last fall on Saturday nights. And two lessons here that sort of piggyback off what Steve talked about. Number one, I was hired at the worldwide leader, probably a goal that I didn't even realize was my life's goal, <laughs> to get to Bristol and be hired by ESPN to do a radio show. And I was hired by the program director without having ever met the man, having never looked at his face. I never submitted a resume. I did not submit a demo tape. I did not do anything. I got on a phone call with him. We talked about our families for eight minutes. And then he looked at me and he, he said, so our, our, our first year's contracts are X amount of shows for X amount of dollars. Um, you know, we'll get you signed to that and then we'll get started after that. And I was like, what? You're hiring me to do work at ESPN? That's pretty cool. All right, so I can celebrate now, and it just it just happened. It's because they do their homework and they know what you sound and look like, as well as they scream it. Their producers are are so good at ESPN that they are in the middle of asking a question or trying to throw to break. They are telling you something in your head, and you have to pivot from one thing to the next in a matter of seconds. Oh, Coach O's on the podium after the national championship game. We got to go to Coach O right now, and I'm in the middle of you know a sentence to my co-host, and he's in my ear yelling at me. And it's it's hard. It's not easy, and and it's because ESPN hires such such high level producers. Well, and 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 that's the you know that that ability to multitask. Anytime you see people doing TV well, uh, you should really that you should have an appreciation for that because it yeah. is it is not a natural skill at all. Nope, it is not. Anything else you'd like to add to Steve Layman? Thank you, Steve, for joining us. No, uh, ch- check out Layman's uh, half hour show on the weekends. It's ten thirty on Sunday nights. Um, he gets a little bit more chance to do to do something than than just like the three three and a half minutes you're going to see him at either six or ten. All right, ratings and recs. Do you want to dive into the ratings and recs portion of the podcast here? Steve? Yes. So so last week we number two on our list was the is Bills Titans. 
which made which made last week's broadcast at, at a twenty four point one. But number one, Texans Titans twenty five point eight. That is just a big freaking number. The game is was good, obviously. Yeah, Bills game was not Tuesday night, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, or whatever. Those are different time slots that have different viewership sort of thresholds, but. I do think that as this season builds, the numbers are going to get significantly bigger. Yeah, I think they are too. And particularly in a tight game like this, I mean, broadcast guys will always tell you that that a tight game in the fourth quarter is always going to give you a bigger number than anything else. And and, that's, and overtime especially. And overtime especially. I mean, if you want drama, there it is. Uh, number three SEC game of the week, Georgia-Alabama did a 16.5, which is, I think, the biggest you know non-Tennessee college football rating we've seen so far. Uh, number four, Packers-Bucks on Fox, which got a 14. And then number five, Rams-49ers, which was the Monday night game. Monday night game, Sunday night game? Uh, Sunday night game, I believe. I'm not sure. I didn't catch any of that one. I mean, and, and you could argue, and this is just an observation, Georgia-Alabama was probably the most important, best football game of the entire year in any conference. Yep. And Packers-Bucks almost tied it. Yep. Now, that's Tom Brady and the Packers brand. There's a lot of there's a lot of juice there on that. But that, that does tell you where the NFL is and where college football is relative to each other from a popularity standpoint. And college football still beats everybody else by a mile too. It just it teaches you how big the NFL really is. Speaking of uh, speaking of competitive games in the fourth quarter, the UT Kentucky oh, game. Come on, the UT Kentucky game finished seventh this week with a rating of seven point five, which means that most UT fans did what I did, which was turn that thing off. Yikes! That was that was such a that was a horrific game to try to watch anyway but man i mean people just absolutely bailed on that game now they're two and two we'll see what tennessee looks like in the ratings moving forward at two and two versus two and oh when they had the georgia number which was the highest watched most watched television show in sports in nashville that week again every rating every rating point is about eleven thousand tv homes in nashville and of course all of these numbers courtesy of mark binda at News Channel 5. There you go. The theme on the show today. <laughs> News Channel 5. Thank you, Ben. Recommendations. Steve Cavendish, what you got? So if you want soccer stats for some reason, and I do, uh, one or two of you are out there, <laughs> they're they're a pain in the ass to, to find. Recently, the um, the folks behind BaseballReference.com and ProFootballReference.com, where if you – if you go researching any historic team, any trend, any whatever else, you're gonna you're gonna spend time on those sites. Launched uh, football or well, fbref.com, and in it you can get you can get MLS, you can get the top five leagues in Europe. It's just it has all of the advanced metrics that you would want. So I was at the uh, was at the National SC game the other night, and I wanted to pull some, pull up something about Dex McCarty because I, I knew his uh, passing statistics were really good, and I went down this rabbit hole of just sort of fascinating numbers. Uh, there's all, like I said, there's all the sort of advanced metrics about like expected goals and expected goals allowed. You can you can tease those out just like you can like all the advanced hockey metrics. If you're if you like soccer, you're a stats nerd, you're going to want to spend time on uh, FB Ref. Oh man, I'm already in the weeds over here, dude. I'm already in the weeds. I need to know how good Christian Pulisic is. Pretty good in the Premier League. Uh, no, I love the. I do. I've lived on those sites my entire life. Yeah. I mean, it, fo- College Football Reference, and, and I'm really football glad. Reference, ML, base, baseball Reference, they're all just amazing. I'm glad somebody. I'm glad they finally decided to do that. And I and I think full disclosure, I think they put it up last year. I, I just had. I just hadn't seen it. But don't tell anybody that. <laughs> but um, 
but like if you go to the, like the team sites or you know the the MLS site, like getting all of those numbers in one place for a particular team is just such a monumental pain in the ass. This is really just the one of the most user friendly things I found. I love those sites. So I will throw out another one for college football fans because college football references is, is a part of that. And it's a great website. I will throw cfbstats.com out quite, there. Quite good. Very, very good. It's not really like any, nobody really knows about it. It's not like ESPN or anything, but CFB stats is where I get almost all of my football, college football statistical data. Uh, all right. Can I throw mine out there? Absolutely. Give it to me. So there's very few sports that I do not watch at all and will watch documentaries about that sport, but I do it with, with Formula One. I love racing. So part of this is me. I love as a, you know, I've grown up loving the Indy 500, open wheel racing, NASCAR, Le Mans, whatever. Like I'm a racing fan. So Formula One Drive to Survive documentary on Netflix. I believe they're in their third season. And I do not watch Formula One. I don't watch it. But the documentary is spectacular. It is so the pageantry of these F1 races. I don't think people realize that they are amongst the highest paid athletes in the world. The, these, you know, Lewis Hamiltons of the world are the highest paid. They're, they're up there with Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, LeBron James, you know, A-Rod. Whenever these, you know, you go to Sporkle and you do the highest paid athletes like that. These these F1 drivers are way more popular, like the way soccer players are in Europe, the way we would look at football players, quarterbacks, you know, that kind of thing here. They do a spectacular job of telling the stories, teaching you about the team dynamics that are at play which are so critical in F1, which aren't as big in NASCAR or in, in indie racing. So again, can't recommend it enough because I don't even watch the sport and I've seen every episode of the documentary. So if I'm a, if for instance, I loved Ford versus Ferrari, the Matt Damon, Christian Bale movie from last year. This is something that, that I'm going to. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and just, just the Monaco episode is worth it. Yeah. <laughs> just the Monaco Grand Prix is worth Every bit of your attention, Steve. Well, um, I, I've been fascinated by F1 for years. I, one of my one of my best friends uh, is a big open wheel guy. Follows them a lot, and, and actually the coverage on it you get you get the sky coverage. I think on uh, NBC Sports over here uh, is really really good, and it's interesting. They put so much money into the production value of it that it's really it really ends up being sort of a leading thing for what what you'll see in like NASCAR and. Indy car coverage over here, like a year on a year or two lag, and, and F one is just kind of mesmerizing to watch. It, it really is not just because, again, if you like rocket ships that go <laughs> two hundred miles an hour on wheels, like it's cool. But there's, it's like the NFL. It is drivers changing teams mid season. It's contract negotiations. It is, is the general manager or the team owner going to fire the the crew chief in the middle of the season if if. Renault is not third in the standings versus fourth in the standings. And I mean, it is, it is human drama the way the NFL has turned the off season into human drama. And that's what makes the document that, and it's all access. Everybody's mic'd up. You have in the garage access. You have, it doesn't feel like they've limited you in your viewership. So I think that's what makes it work. And that's what makes it good. Awesome. I'm going to pick it up. Absolutely. Check it out. Special thanks to Steve Lehman from News Channel 5 Sports Anchor for hanging out with us today as we try to teach everybody a little bit about the television medium. Steve Cavendish, you can follow him on Twitter, at S. Cavendish, of course. I don't know, do you care about the Instagram account or not? No, I mean, come for dogs and food. A lot of beagles yeah. and burgers. Yeah, beagles and burgers. It's the new podcast. <laughs> you can follow me, of course, at Braden Gall. My name's Braden Gall. Thanks for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.